For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Sports opinions with a side of satire. We're the first in tens, a weekly show delivering the spiciest opinions on football, life, and especially each other. And we can do that because we've been best friends for so long. I'm Amy. And I'm Jasmine. First in tens will bring you sports from the female perspective while also injecting pop culture, fashion, and music into our daring dialogue. We're saucy, edgy, and most of all, we we think think we're we're funny funny AF. First in tens, light on stats, heavy on sass. Follow us at firstintenspodcast.com. Hey there, Fangirl Nation. Welcome to another episode of Fangirl Sports Network's Get My Job podcast. I am your host, Tracy Sandler, and I am so excited to be joined today by NFL Network host and reporter Taylor Bashotti. Taylor talks about the importance of finding your niche, knowing where you can add the most value, and remembering that it only takes one yes, no matter how many no's came before it. She shares her career journey to the NFL Network and gives us a peek into a day in her life. This episode is a lot of fun and has a lot of great advice. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. And with that, let's get to it. Taylor, I am so excited to have you on today. Ever since we met at that Super Bowl party a couple years back, I have been wanting to get to talk to you on the podcast. So welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know. And doesn't that seem like a lifetime ago talking about a Super Bowl party where we actually came in human contact with one another and we're around a million different people. <laughs> oh yeah, we, we hugged. I mean, we like it was crazy. We didn't <laughs> even like, we didn't even elbow bump. It was amazing. We didn't even and it's funny, I don't know about you, not to get totally off topic, but now when I like watch TV from shows made a little bit of time back and they like hug or they're up against each other at a bar, I'm like, "Oh my god." Oh, I know. Move. I get it's really it's going to be bizarre. It. The transition um obviously was very difficult going from seeing each other and being around a million people a day and, you know, touching and hugging and all that. And then obviously to going from that to zero, it's going to be interesting to see how the transition like slowly progresses where we do start shaking each other's hands again in the future. Although that does seem like the distant future right now. Very, very distant future, but you're right. It's going to be, it'll be an adjustment the other way. We're just, we're all becoming very, very adaptable. Uh, We, but NFL season in full swing um, at the the day we're recording this, this is a couple days ago from when this is going to air, uh, but or this is going to air a couple days from when we're recording it. You guys get what I'm trying to say here. Um, we got it. The Titans had an outbreak of COVID, and so by the time this airs, I'm sure there'll be much more news on that. So we'll see how all that plays out and uh, how that gets handled by the NFL. But this is about you today, so let's talk you. And speaking of the NFL, can you tell us uh, about your career journey that got you to the NFL Network? Yes. Um, So I started off out of college while I was an accounting major. Long story, went back to school to 
to major in digital and broadcast journalism. And then in my final semester, I was working for News Source, which is covering Northeast Georgia, and it's all hard news. And I was only doing that. And so I was able to work for ESPN U Campus Connection, which was an amazing program. Unfortunately, I don't think that they still do it. But ESPN and SEC Network would basically just send you a mic flag and you were a one-man band. So you would go out and write, shoot, edit, produce. And so I was able to do that and really hone in on sports in my like final six months covering hard news in Northeast Georgia. And that led into my first job out of college was SEC Network and freelancing for them. All the while I was freelancing for Bleacher Report, Sporting News, a bunch of different outlets. But the main takeaway from that is that I was a one-man band in all of those. And so that was incredibly difficult. As you know, editing is not my strong suit. I think I would spend hours upon hours upon hours failing at editing and then finally getting something together to turn in packages. Um, And so I was doing that for about 13 months, 14 months. And then I'd come out to LA two months before um, I got the call in May from NFL Network. And I met with Fox and a bunch of different networks. And I actually did not meet with NFL when I was out here. And so when I got the call, it was literally the night night after night one of draft. Oh, wow. Um, the Laramie Tunsil draft, the famous Laramie Tunsil oh, draft. Oh, the famous, <laughs> very famous Laramie yeah. Tunsil draft. Um, and they needed somebody pretty quickly for um, news updates. And both my parents were actually out of the country, and I was living in Atlanta at the time. And I immediately said yes, signed a lease without even um, seeing the apartment that I was moving to, packed my stuff. I had one last assignment for, um, I think it was Sporting News, and I was covering Alabama's spring football game. So I went that weekend, covered Alabama's spring football game. I think I ended up hiring an editor because I was still in the process of packing Mm -hmm. and got done with that, literally packed my stuff and moved out here. And it was a whirlwind. It was so quick. You almost don't even have time to stop and think. And I remember I like landed in LA, dropped my bags into an empty apartment and went straight into NFL network. And that was kind of how it all started. And that summer went by incredibly fast, but started off at NFL network five. This is my fifth season. So started Mm -hmm. off just doing news updates. And then from there, my role just kind of continuously grew. Um, It's felt really like a slow grow, like growth in my mind, of course, as I think it probably does for everyone. But I do feel very fortunate to, of course, be in this position, live in LA and cover my, obviously my favorite sport. So I love it. That is my journey. That's a great, that is a great journey. And I want to go back to something you said early on in the journey about how for a long time there you were a one-man band. And I think that's really important um, as this podcast is is very much for women in sports, women who love sports, and women who want to work in sports. And if you can just talk a little bit about that experience, about how having to do it all solo kind of helped you grow as a, a journalist and a reporter. Oh, it definitely does. Because, I mean, you are it, make, it forces you to like appreciate every different role, like whether it be writing, whether it be shooting, whether it be white balancing. There's been plenty of interviews that I would do where my white balance was off or the audio was not plugged in right. So they could only hear me and not the person that I was interviewing, which obviously, unfortunately for me, like he's the far more important person (laughs) or she's the far more important person to hear. 
And so it makes you appreciate all the different elements that go into putting a piece together, whether it be graphics, whether it be, you know, there's so many different elements that you don't necessarily realize when you're just sitting there watching a broadcast, but it takes a village. It really does. And so Mm -hmm. when you are forced to kind of do all of that yourself, it, you have a new like found appreciation for every product that you really see that makes it to the air just because of how much really goes into it. Do you remember what the first story was that you covered? So I was, so I was covering hard news, um, for Northeast Georgia for about six months. Um, I can't remember my very first story. Uh, can can you remember your first NFL network story? My first NFL network story. I'm trying to think. No, you know what? Yes. I, it was, you know, it was when, when Ryan, this is crazy. This, it was when Ryan Fitzpatrick was a jet. Oh, there we yes. go. Full circle. <laughs> wow. That just popped in my head. I'm like, I remember sitting up the desk and being and like, my face was like, I was so stressed. You know, you want to say everything right. And I remember that story had just come in that morning. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. That's magic. So, and he's still kicking. He's still kicking better than ever. <laughs> he really is. And Fitzmagic will not go down. Okay. He is going to be a part of a fight. And I love it. <laughs> there was someone tweeted the other day, and I don't know who it was, but I can't remember, but something about his son is going to someday say something about wanting to be an NFL quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick is still going to be playing. And it's going to be like 30 years down the road. I know it was very, I'm butchering the tweet, but it was really funny because I do feel like Ryan Fitzpatrick may be one of those people that 15 years from now are like, he's a journeyman right, and he he's is. gotten better with age. I love how he's just like owning every element and every aspect of himself right now with the Hawaiian shirts, with the beard, yes. with the attitude, with all of it. So I'm a big Ryan Fitzpatrick man. I'm I am here too. for it. I, I read a funny tweet that night was about like Tua and people were like, when are we going to see Tua? And somebody's like, yeah, you're only going to see Tua if they need to preserve Ryan Fitzpatrick a little bit. Like if they're up by 30 in the fourth quarter and they need to hold Ryan Fitzpatrick out so that he can make sure that he can play for the next game, then we'll see Tua go in. Who would have thunk it really? Who Seriously. would have thunk it? It's really, it's really incredible. You've got to give him credit. And who gets a nickname like Fitzmagic? I mean, that's I know. Fantastic. you got to be pretty special. I think so too. So, well, I'm glad that this has become a Ryan Fitzpatrick appreciation podcast and I'm very much here for it. So (laughs) all in, all in on it. Well, that's a cool, that's a very cool first story uh, to have and to remember. So, well, we're speaking of his style and his whole thing. And that leads me into my next question. You have incredible style and that's become a big part of your brand and you always put together the most awesome looks. I think more than once I've DM'd you and I'm like, where did you get that outfit? I love it. Uh, So, I was just wondering how that started. Is that something that started young? Is that something that started once you were on camera? And then how you kind of curate your looks? Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. It, it means a lot. Well, when I actually first started at NFL Network, it's funny. I, you know, you, I'm sure you can relate as like when you first start off, like in the business, you want to come across as so much more like older and more mature and experienced. And so I bought like tons of just like bland dresses that made me look a lot older, but as like, time went on, I think you just realized how much less that you don't have to be like the typical news anchor woman. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like it was a way that I could kind of show my own like personality and look, and I've always loved fashion. And so it, it's a, just naturally a hobby. And so when I kind of just realized that you don't have to have that typical standard mold and that you could express your own self and like your own, I feel like dressing is, as we know with Cam Newton, it's just yes. a way to express yourself and you always perform better. I think that 
when you're wearing something that you're comfortable in. And so I feel like that's important in order to like you, when you feel your best, um, you're probably going to perform your best. So yeah, I enjoy it. I think it's a fun process. Of course, there's always the stressful days where you're like, I have nothing to wear. Right. <laughs> My roommate, um, she's in fashion, so she can always help out too. Oh, that's nice. That's yeah. a big positive. Well, you said something about – there are two things that you said I like would like to unpack, no pun intended, because we are talking about fashion. Uh, but you mentioned that, you know, you were trying to get looks to, like, look older and present yourself a certain way. And at the end of the day, you perform best in what you feel comfortable in. And something we talk a lot about on the pod and how important it is to be you and not, you know, be someone else. And so can you talk a little bit about how you got to that place and realized, like, no, I need to curate my own look and look and feel my best and not worry about what other people are thinking or how if it doesn't make me look old enough or et cetera. Yeah, and I, I exactly what you just said is that I think it even extends beyond just fashion, but you're constantly, especially, like, in, I guess, with any business, you always look at what somebody else has done before you and you almost try and emulate it. But you can only do that for so long until it's just not authentic or organic to who you are as a person and your personality. And eventually what makes you stand out and what makes you be different is being able to like feel confident and comfortable in expressing your own personality and your own viewpoint and your own style, whatever, whatever you're talking about or whatever we're, whatever topic we're discussing, it's just, you have to be true to who you are. Um, in order to kind of, kind of make your own name and make your own brand, and everybody can copy somebody else, but at the at the end of the day, you don't need a hundred clones. No, we definitely definitely do not. And this might put you on the spot a little, but I think this might be a fun question to ask. How would you say, or what would you say, is the Taylor Bashadi brand? Oh gosh, I'm not sure about that one. Um, <laughs> I think it's just not always sticking to a script or sticking to, especially in this business, there's never one right route. I think you hear that a lot, especially when you're first starting off in the business is that no person, and it's true, no person has really taken the exact same path to get to where they are. There's so many different roads. It's not like accounting, which is what my original major was. It's not mm -hmm. like, you know, banking. It's not like so many other professions out there where you usually follow like a strict road or a strict structure and you don't really vary. Or mm -hmm. You don't really divert off that path. And it's pretty much laid out for you. Whereas this business is so different in that everybody really does take so many different paths to get to where they are. A lot of people will start off in radio. A lot of people will start off on digital media. A lot of people will start off in local news or local markets. And there's so many different ways that you can get to where you are. And I think that that's kind of something that I'm still trying to navigate, especially at NFL Network. When I was hired, I was the youngest on-air talent that was ever hired. And so you kind of have to approach it from a perspective of, okay, well, where can I add the most value? Where I'm not going to compete with the, you know, Kim Jones and Aditi Kinkawalas and some of these reporters who have been there for so long and are amazing and incredible and are clearly have a lot more experience and like, you know, expertise on the teams that they're covering and how well they do it because they've been doing it for so long. So if I could come in and provide value from another area, whether that be on social media or whether that be from a digital perspective or whether that be, you know, interviewing players and being able to relate to them because we are younger and closer in age. Um, I think it's important for everybody to always kind of try and find 
that niche where you can stand out and where you can add value that's different than somebody else. Because I'm never going to compete with some of these, you know, pioneers in our business who have been doing it forever and who, you know, do a fantastic job at what they do. But I think that you can always try and find ways where you do add value that's different from what they do. Have you had a mentor in your career? So many, so many different mentors. I would say my first one was when I was an intern at WUSA 9 in DC. Mm -hmm. And Jan Jeffcoat, she was the nightly news anchor there. And she has truly covered everything. She used to be in Chicago. She used to work for E. She used to, then she went into hard news and the hardest capital, like the nation's capital, the most difficult place to cover news in. Um, And she was an amazing mentor. Uh, She she went to South Carolina. So we kind of bonded over the SEC, SEC roots. And she was, I felt like she was a second mom because obviously my, my dad does commercial real estate development and my mom is the most amazing mom in the entire world, but she obviously had no experience in this field either. And so I'm the first person in my family to go into, um, media. And I felt like Jan immediately became my like second broadcast mom. And she, you know, taught me so much about just how to let stuff roll off the back, roll off your back and just how to develop thick skin and really how to navigate, you know, getting your first job and what to expect and, you know, to not let the small stuff bother you. And she was definitely a great sounding board and somebody to vent to. And we're still very close. She actually recently moved out to Los Angeles. So we still stay in touch and she's, she's an amazing mentor person to have. I feel very lucky. Oh, she sounds amazing. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And yay, DC. I used to live in DC for a while. So I always love a good DC connection. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to ask you three questions that kind of go together. um, And so I'm going to give you the heads up. And then if we need to repeat them, obviously, I totally can. But I want to know what has been your most difficult story to cover, your most fun story to cover, and your most rewarding story to cover. Mm -hmm. Difficult at... NFL network, I would say. Or it could be anywhere. I mean, you, you you can choose. It doesn't have it can be NFL network, but it can also be anywhere you, you'd like to to say. Um, you know, with sports, you, I mean, I personally I don't feel like sports is as difficult as a lot of hard news stories. So when I was in Northeast Georgia, there was definitely some extremely difficult stories to cover, whether it would be um we had, we had a suicide on campus. And so I would say that those were, those were definitely the more challenging stories to cover, just trying to, especially when you're first starting off, you know, I'm 20, 21, 22 years old, and you're going to talk to friends and family of a student who, you know, committed suicide. And those are difficult to navigate when I'm 29, let alone 21 and 22 and first starting off in the business. Mm-hmm. So I would say that those will definitely top the list for challenging and difficult and just emotional stories to cover. Um, on a brighter note, uh, let me think, uh, exciting or fun story would be always during the Super Bowl, I think, are extremely like fun stories to cover because you get not only the players that are playing in the game, um, but you have tons of players and teams and you develop like relationships with a bunch of uh, the ones that aren't playing and you get to cover some of those stories as well. So I would say Super Bowl is always going to be like a highlight week because of just the amount of people that you have in one area and how much you are able to 
um, network and talk to people and, and just be around so many like, like-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. It's where we met. <laughs> it is. It is. Speaking of, it is where we met. It brought us together. Yeah. <laughs> it was the Super Bowl in Atlanta. I, I know. That was my hometown. So that was, that was mm-hmm. especially like, I remember flying from LA to Atlanta thinking, wow, like if only my, like myself five years ago could see where I am now, I don't even know if I would have believed it. Like it was kind of a surreal experience as I was flying back to like my hometown um, to cover a Super Bowl. It's definitely, it, it was a rewarding feeling. Would that be in the most rewarding story or would that yeah, be like definitely. one of your most That's fair. I think that's totally fair. Um, so something we talk about a lot on this podcast as well, and that seems to be a phrase I'm using a lot today, but is preparation and the importance of preparation and over-preparing. Can you talk a little bit about your preparation process? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that it's natural. Everybody in this business, you sit there and you study notes after notes after notes after notes and you feel like you've got every stat known to man. And I think that more often than not, you'll find that we are so far over-prepared than ever Mm -hmm. under-prepared. I think that you almost can over-prepare to the point, kind of like what Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay said after the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, he said, I think I almost got to the point where I over-prepared for the Super Bowl, where you start to overthink things. Mm -hmm. And I know that I tend to do that a lot instead of just, I almost feel like if I could just make somebody 30 minutes before I were to go on air, go do an interview and cover a story. If I could just make them like take me away from my notes and my highlights and my, you know, just sitting there trying to remember every last thing. And if they just said, okay, take a deep breath, like step back, look at the big picture and put it all into perspective. Like you're covering football, which is supposed to be fun and exciting and a hobby. Um, I think it would be really great. I just wish that I could find somebody that I could just take with me to make me do that every time. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have somebody. Um, and I just, I think that's very important is to, you know, study as much as you can and prepare as much as you possibly can beforehand. But 30 minutes before you go on air, just take a step back and realize like the big picture and put things into perspective and realize that every last stat isn't going to matter. And at the end of the day, it's, human interest stories are what people want to hear. And people want to find a story that they can relate to. They don't care how many yards they ran on that game against the Texans. Um, They want to know the overall story and the adversity and what somebody went through in order to get there. That's what the majority of people can relate to. So I think that it is important to prepare as much as possible, but then to also take a step back, take a deep breath and go have fun the more you're having fun doing interviews and going on air and talking about the sport that we all love, the more fun the viewer is going to have. That is very true. And it's something, you know, what we see it in sports. We see it when players play. You look at Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. I mean, part of it is how talented he is, but he's having fun out there. Russell Wilson has a lot of fun out there. I I was thinking back to the Chiefs game last night. He was doing shovel passes, trying out these. It looks like, it looks like he was on the beach with friends playing football and with no, like just testing out plays with no sort of like consequence if it went wrong. And I wish I was as talented as Patrick Mahomes and could do that in broadcasting. I yeah. I would be MVP, right? <laughs> yeah, you would definitely, you'd be, you would be MVP of the NFL beat <laughs> or NFL <laughs> network or NFL reporters. You would be the MVP. We, we all would, but you know, we see it and I think that's true. And it's, you know, there is the cliche that do what you love and you never work a day in your life. And there's truth in that, but I think maybe the 
more, you know, realistic way to look at that is have fun in what you're doing and enjoy what you're doing. And like you said, we're covering football. It's fun. It is a game. And if you're having fun, your viewers are going to having fun are going to have fun. I always find that with tweets that the ones that I like throw out there that aren't necessarily stat related or scheme mm-hmm. related, but are just kind of fun about whatever happened in the play. People seem to enjoy that the most. Same with stories. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're we're big on human interest stories at Fangirl Sports Network, and and you know that is what people people seem to enjoy. There's a reason memes are doing so well these days. Um, (laughs) So what is a criticism that you received early on in your career that while tough to take, uh, helped to shape who you are today? Um, That's a good question. I got, I feel like you get criticized at every corner, especially when you're first starting off. It's like, you know, look older. Um, One that I guess I would say, gosh, there's so many, there's so many different like critiques that you get. I always think that it's important to take criticism and like do use it constructively. Mm -hmm. Um, I sometimes take it too personally and I'll get super upset if somebody says, oh, you know, like I didn't like that question. Actually, it just happened when I was um, covering the game last weekend. And there was a question that I had asked Mike Davis and my producer was like, you know, like I really wasn't crazy about that question. And I thought, well, geez, like why? What was wrong with it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you take a step back and you're like, oh, wow, I see what he was saying. And so I think that it is important to take a step back, like realize that they're, it's not a personal attack if somebody is taking the time to critique you and like view it as more of a critique rather than a criticism. I think that's very important, especially for me, because I am sensitive as much as I try and have thick skin. I think that I obviously am still sensitive and, you know, you take things personally, but it's always good to and obviously it's depending on where it's coming from and who it comes from, but it's good to just try and um, put like emotions and sensitivities aside and use it as a constructive criticism. Cause like at the end of the day, he's only trying to make you better. Yes. That's, that's very true. And how do you do that? Is there anything you've learned over the years where you are like, okay, let me take a deep breath and think about this before it upsets me or, or anything like that. Or is it just, experience. I think it's experience. I mean, I, like, like I said, like I still, like I'll still, you know, get my feelings hurt over something or get defensive. But yeah, I think that just as you, as you kind of like get older and you get more accustomed to hearing other people's opinions and thoughts, and this is such a, like a subjective business where, you know, one person's going to hate the way that you did something, but another person's going to love it. As long as you just stay like true to who you are and try and stay like say something and present something from your own voice, that's definitely the most important thing to do because you can only emulate somebody else for so long before Mm -hmm. you just kind of lose what makes you special. And the only thing that's going to make you special and stand out is being true to who you're, who you are and who you like, who you like, who you want to be and what you want to represent. I like that. I was, I took a minute to write it down. So I like that. Um, I'm switching gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about healthy living, which is important to you both physically and mentally. Uh, Can you talk about maybe some of your top tips for that and why it's important for you to share that with your followers and your viewers? Yeah, definitely. When it comes to healthy eating, I cannot say I am high on that list. I feel like I eat pretty healthy throughout the day. Like I have breakfast very first thing in the morning, which I could never imagine like that not being the absolute very first thing I do when I wake up in the morning. So I do feel like that's healthy and I try and eat like fairly healthy throughout the day. 
I love fish. I love sushi. Um, I, I, I still eat everything. Like I'm, I'm not gluten-free. I eat all carbs, but I definitely have a insane sweet tooth. I am addicted to sugar. So I always have to have anything chocolate, anything ice cream, anything dessert every single day. So don't follow me when it comes to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that it's so important to, it's all about balance too. I, I do think that it's okay that I have like desserts every day, but as long as I'm not having it for every meal or I put it in, you know, a portion, portion control is always very important. Um, and then I also think it's very important to be just active and healthy. And especially during COVID, you see this more and more where people were, you either became really lazy or your like workout routine, like was able to become more consistent for me. I felt like I was able to, um, go on my like long walks. I'm a big walker. I don't do okay. the gym. I just do like long walks and sometimes I'll do like a short jog. Um, and then I also love one of the luxuries of living in LA is you can go on the beach and walk and work out or you can go on hikes. And I love hiking. Um, I think it's a great way to just kind of like escape. And there's so many beautiful ones in Malibu and the Palisades and and all over. And so those are, that's like really what my workout routine is. I don't, I'm not, I've never had like a Peloton or I've never been um, really like a gym, gym junkie. I think I've like gone like five times since I've lived in LA <laughs> over five years. So yeah, like I just, I, I just know that like, I love being outdoors. I love breathing in the fresh air, whether it be at the beach or anywhere, just even being outside. I think that it helps clear my mind and keep me like mentally sane and healthy. Um, definitely both just like on a physical level, but as well as a mental level. I think that's such a big part of exercise and being outside, I think does so much for us mentally when we're yeah. working out that way. Yeah, or the just days where you get so way. stressed and you decide to just like let it go for 30 minutes and go for a walk and you'll come back and you'll have so much of a better perspective on whatever it is that you were stressed about. And it'll kind of make it seem a little bit less earth shattering and significant yes. than it did before you left. I try in the morning when I walk my dogs uh, to leave my phone at home because I'm like, it's the morning and it's first thing. And really, does anybody need me that badly right now? Probably not. So it's kind of nice just to leave that alone. And then on our afternoon walks, it's a true crime podcast because uh, <laughs> it's like my break from work. <laughs> and uh, and then at night, it's music. And so it's just those, those are like my three escape times. Yeah. Um, where I, I need to start doing that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow that tip because I could definitely afford to gift myself putting my phone away for a little bit and not constantly being glued to it. Because like you said, there's really probably nothing that was that time urgent or critical in a 30 minute walk a day. Yeah, there probably is not. And I do try to sometimes also, if I bring it with me to listen to podcasts or music or just like at night, if I'm walking the dogs, I don't want to not have my phone. I'll put it on airplane mode sometimes so that it's like, okay, I have it if I need it, but nothing's going to interrupt my true crime podcast, my music or whatever it is. So those are, those are my tips. I'm clearly very into true crime podcasts. Clearly. I know. I need, uh, I need to get some tips on your, some of your favorites. Oh, we can, ha I'd be happy to share them. Love them. <laughs> Absolutely love them. I sometimes wonder if it's like the journalist in me who's like a little investigative and wants to know or if I just really like true crime. Who knows? Who really knows? But, but <laughs> I, I, like would, I would probably scare myself listening to him while I'm like on a walk though. 
That's why I can't do it at night. They're only a daytime event. Sometimes I will do that in the morning. If I'm one into one, like really into one, I will bring my phone on the walk, and but I could put on airplane mode and listen. But it, after five o'clock, I can't listen, and then we move to music. There's a whole, there's a whole <laughs> method smart. to my madness. Yes. <laughs> otherwise, I agree with you. I'd be scared too. Um, so if you could give our listeners one piece of advice for starting a, a career in sports journalism, journalism, and if you have two pieces, that's totally fine too, what, uh, what would that advice be? That advice would be it only takes one yes, no matter how many no's preceded it. I always like live by this because it is so natural to get discouraged or feel like you're never going to make it or feel like that one opportunity isn't ever going to open up. And I think that everybody can relate to that. But it's important to remember that just when like you're ready to give up, just keep trying because all of us have been told no 1000 more times than we've been told yes. Mm-hmm. And to just keep going and keep networking and keep meeting people and keep trying and keep honing in on your craft and getting better each and every day. And even when it feels like you're stagnant and you're not getting anywhere, just don't give up because again, it only takes one yes. And that will be like your perfect opportunity. Could not agree with that more. How have you seen opportunities grow for women in the sports industry? And how do you think we can still improve? You've seen it grow so much. I remember when you used to not always see like females on, you know, hosting major shows and being in the forefront of conversations and having a a full voice other than the fact, other than just like setting and teeing players up or even that that was even a big stretch. So you've seen that it's grown so much and that's because of pioneers in our industry that have like paved the way and made it, made it normal to mm-hmm. see an, a majority female show or where, you know, like on our network, we have Cynthia Freeland, who is our analytics expert. And you see so many different, like Kay Adams is on our, you know, good morning football show. And you, you just see it more and more. And it's amazing. And you are able to see, like, I think that it's more than just female fans that relate to them, but it's a lot of male fans too, who just because they didn't play the sport. So, so like 90% of the other people on the cast probably didn't play the sport either, mm-hmm. but that doesn't marginalize their voice. And if anything, females have their role in their space in this industry just continues to grow. And I, I love it. It can always grow more. I wish we saw more females where it was normal to see, you know, two men and two women an all female football show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's always room for growth and we are in the, we are in going in the right direction. And I'm so thankful for the females that have paved the way before us because you're seeing more and more opportunities arise. And I think just last weekend, we saw a female coach on both sides Mm -hmm. of the sideline in the Washington Browns game. And you had a female sideline reporter and a female referee, which was history. Mm -hmm. It was historical. That was incredible. I hope that we see more and more and more of that. Before we get to five fun facts, this is one of my favorite things I ask people. Can you take us through a day in the life of Taylor Bashotti? Well, a day in the life of Taylor has changed significantly since COVID. <laughs> I would I would imagine that to be true. <laughs> I am an early riser, so I usually get up around 5.30 or 6 oh, and wow. try and just 
the first thing I do is obviously eat breakfast and get coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker. Um, and then I try and read the news, follow up on what's going on in the world. Obviously, just because I'm getting up early on the West Coast doesn't mean that it's early for the East Coast. So usually like the day is already well started for most people. So there's lots of news out there. And um, I like to just get caught up. I try and like you said, put my phone away for a little bit and let that not be the first thing that I go on. Um, and then if it's like a normal work day, I hit the ground running on football news and I try and get myself caught up and read stories and um, are, I'm doing news updates right now and they start at noon. And so I have plenty of time to either go for a walk, take a shower, get ready and write my stories. And as you know, news is constantly changing. So usually even if it's like 1030 or 11, the stories that I've written end up getting ripped up because something new happens. Okay. Mm -hmm. But that's what makes it fun. And it's just good to just kind of like keep everything that's potentially going to happen and what's going on out there in the forefront of your mind. And that's why I read pretty much every morning. I spend at least an hour reading everything that everything I can just to make sure that I'm caught up in and like on everything about everything. And then after that, I do news for a little bit. I always try and do a little bit of like fantasy or um, try and find a human interest story. So whether it be on like the different teams websites, but to just kind of like dig into that a little bit, because I can usually try and use that for um, another story that I'll work on throughout the week. Or I also do weekly matchups where you like analyze the strengths and weaknesses of each team. Mm -hmm. And then I do those write-ups on Thursdays. After that, I get off work, try and go for a walk, do something. Usually I have a million errands to run. Mm -hmm. And then I go to bed really, really early. It's really embarrassing to say this. I go to bed at like eight o'clock or I try and get in bed at eight o'clock. <laughs> well, it's really not, especially if you're getting up at 5.30. I think that makes a lot of sense. I love, I like love getting in bed early. Like if I am, like when people say like, let's go to a nine o'clock dinner, like I cringe inside because I like to eat dinner at like 5.30. Like early bird special, sign me up. I actually love to eat dinner at 5.32. I think it started with my nieces and nephews. And then I started like being like, this is great. You're, this is amazing. It's amazing. It really is. So. Like whatever we used to consider punishment, which was waking up early and going to bed early, is now like my ideal day. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> It says that uh, you've matured into understanding that that's really the way to go. That's what I like to tell myself it means, mm -hmm. but I don't know if I don't know if that's all true. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with it. You have my support, so okay, thank you. You're welcome. I feel better about it now. Oh, good. Well, here to help. This is a this is an all service podcast. Um, all right, it's about five fun facts time. We talked earlier about human interest stories. I think you know this, Taylor, but this started with um, me doing this with the Fort Niners players and. We do it on my iPhone and it's a fun way for them to just tell us about themselves. But on this podcast- I have to say, I think I saw yours with Jimmy G. Oh, I'm sure you did. He's not ugly or <laughs> not, he doesn't hurt the eyes. So I might've tuned in a little extra to any content that you have surrounding him. That's fair. I totally- Very it's fair. The eyes, I should say. You are not the first of my followers who tunes I'm in shocked. a little extra- <laughs> <laughs> on content revolving around Jimmy G. And I don't know what it is. I don't understand crazy. it. It's so crazy. But people seem to really love content <laughs> surrounding Jimmy G. Uh, and that was a fun one because I'd been, you know, been wanting to get it. And, uh, you know, we had a good time with that one. And he, he was happy to do it. He's very fun to work with and cover. So um, there's my Jimmy G plug of the day, too. <laughs> 
Just, there you go. <laughs> um, but on this podcast, we ask everyone the same five questions every week, which is, for lack of a better term, fun, because then we get five different answers. So um, it just kind of highlights how different everyone's personalities are uh, when they get the same questions and different answers every time. So without further ado, five fun facts. All right, Taylor, what is your favorite moment in sports? Mm. I'm going to have to go with the, speaking of Jimmy G, <laughs> although he was not on the team at the time, I'm going to go with the Ravens 49ers Super Bowl. Okay. That was that was a great game. I was there. It was a great game. All right. I'm just writing that down. All right. What is your life motto? <sighs> That's a tough one, actually. Um, I'm going to go with the same piece of advice that I gave to young broadcasters, which um, it only takes one yes, no matter how many no's preceded it. I like it. Uh, go to workout, even though I think we know it, but just in case there's something else that you want to tell us about. Long walks and log walks by the water and hikes. Do you have a favorite hike in LA? Um, I love Los Leones. Okay. All right. That sounds like a good one. Where is that? It's in... It's like right on the border of Santa Monica and Malibu. Oh, that sounds beautiful. That sounds like a good one. What is your go-to coffee order? An oat milk cappuccino. Yum. And a book every woman should read. The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. (laughs) I love it. Such a good one. I actually read that a few times and this summer I picked it up to read it again. And I swear every time I read it, you get, you pick up things and you like internalize different messages and like just they hit you a different way every single time so that you didn't really necessarily see or pick up on the previous time reading it. So I'm a big fan. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Taylor. Uh, This was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And if you guys like what you heard, which I know you did, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at Fangirl Sports Network. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, all Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.